great week. You guys have weeks ever have weeks like this? I'll share them with you where everything's just going good. You're kind of digging it, getting some good news. You get up the next day, you got some good news. You get up the next day, and uh, the devil just decides to kick you in the teeth if he can, right? And so, if he can, that's the key word, if he can. So early this week, everything's going good. We're working, doing what we got to do with Kavod and for ministry here and doing the thing. And then I get this email. And I have to deal with this email. And the email's confronting integrity. It's confronting. And so it's like my first response is, oh, you want to play the game? I'll freaking play your game. And I shared with you last week, that's kind of my thing that I struggle with. I'll play with you, you know. And I felt like the Lord said, just relax and respond. Just do it gingerly. So I have to do it. It involves some money and different things. So I, I involve, you know, I write it out and stuff. And, and then I, I get it all kicked away. Then about two hours later, I get this email. I have to do phone calls. And I do it. And then I get an email that says, would you please respond to this? I'd just done that two hours ago. So I have to grab it, CC it to multiple people, then do it again. And then I get the back, like, almost like on their end, disappointment. You know, like, dang it, he did it. We can't get him, right? And so it's kind of like that. And then these other things came up. I had that evening... I get a phone call with some of the stuff that we do and certain stuff hasn't been signed the way it was said and there's stuff and it's just like craziness, right? <clears throat> so I can't go into everything. So I am like, I was telling Lisa, and then we had to leave and the next day and I had to have meetings up in Belmont Pond and then we had to go up and the parts I ordered from my truck were the wrong parts because I don't speak well enough Spanish. And so it's like I have to go back up to Chetamal, take the parts back up there and it was just like one of those things where you just, I kept saying to my, I kept hearing the Holy Ghost go, don't peek over the shield. Whatever you do, don't peek over the shield. Just stay behind the shield of faith. Just stay tucked in. Don't look. And I'm, I know, because if you look over the shield, you guys, you don't have to ask the devil to punch you in the face. He will. All he's doing is waiting for you to lose your faith, lose your trust in God, and put it into you, and then he will punch you. Because we're like, God, I don't think you're doing what you said you'd do. So then the next day, I have to go up there. <clears throat> I'm just kind of struggling with a bunch of stuff. And I just felt like the Lord was saying, just stay. I got all of this under control. Every single bit of it under control. And I was like, this is just an assault. The enemy sees what you don't see yet. Because there's things in play with other people that haven't reached you yet. But it's not, it's about you, but it's not about you. You're just the aftermath of certain things. Just stay tight. Next day, going to my first meeting, it was like crazy good. It was a, it was a crazy good meeting. Like, you can't script it better. You just can't sitting with some top officials in the government going, man, we just do, just keep doing what you do, right? Wow. Then we get up to, uh, 
into Mexico. The parts are easy. Finally, a guy comes up that speaks good enough English, and we work it through with translator, and he's like, oh, we basically sent you the front ones, not the rear ones. That's oh, easy fix. They're in Cancun. Can you come up on Sunday? I said, no, can't come up here on Sunday. He's like, okay, but they'll be here. Like, oh, then I get a phone call that says all this other stuff where people are trying to jack with people, that's all fixed and settled. And then that night I get another phone call, and I can't go into detail, but I get another phone call that there will be great pain presented on those who cause pain on other people. And then I get more news about other meetings. It is the most crazy thing. And in private, I could talk about some of that, but it was the craziest day, and I went, man, Lord, that's what you were doing. The enemy was trying to make me make mistakes. He was baiting me. He was baiting me. And then, here's another thing. It sounds so simple, but it's true. So I'm driving up. Whatever you do when you're having a bad day, don't read the news. Just don't read the news. So I'm going up there. I'm already struggling a little bit, and I opened this website at BBN. I wrote BBN. I said, you guys are just trash news, man. They posted this article that said, World Health Organization 2023. World Health Organization, 10,000 COVID-19 deaths. <laughs> There's 8 billion people on planet Earth. You... You can't even statistically find that number. It's like 0.0000000.0.0001011% of the world's. More people have died from the flu. More people have died of automobile accidents. More people, in essence, seriously, it is crazy to look at that. And they're still shoving the agenda. Now I read another article where the state of New York hospitals are mandating masks. And a bunch of doctors came out and they're like, are you crazy? There is no, show us the scientific medical research that has overturned what we've already found. That unless you have cancer or something, that you don't need to wear a mask because it doesn't protect you from COVID. The only way it protects you is if you're like this close to somebody and they start hacking on you. I mean, it's, what it is, guys, is it's this fear. And I'm all fired up, man. I'm like, rah, rah. The enemy was trying to get me to, it's called bait, man. Clickbait. He's trying to, it's psychops. He's trying to get me to respond to something that gets me out of the groove. He does it to you every day. Or he tries. Have you guys ever been in that situation? You just feel it too. You're like, why now? Why? He's poking you. He's throwing it out at us to try and get us to do something so that we can't receive the blessings of God. Now, the reality is, all the news of the next day really has nothing to do with me. I just participate. But it's such good news, even in the participation, because God is getting the glory. God is doing something that is changing the world. And we're involved in it. We get to be involved in it. It's just crazy. I mean, I look at how many people are coming to know Jesus. How many people, we, it's just insane. And so 
I started getting excited about <clears throat> this week in chapter 13 of Judges. I'm just getting after it with you. We're going to hit this chapter today. And uh, it's very interesting. This guy, let me pray. Gracious Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for just your love for us. You are amazing. In Jesus' name, open our hearts to your word. Holy Ghost. Amen. So, also, before we get into this, Band of Brothers coming up in March. You guys need to start getting registered, signing up. We're going to have some team meetings and getting ready for that. Franz has been diligently working at that so we can get with him. And it's just going to be a tremendous Band of Brothers this year, right down here. And so, <clears throat> it's just going to be amazing. This guy, Samson, verse 1 says, And then the people of Israel... We're back at it again, doing what was evil in God's sight. God put them under the, do the domination of the Philistines for 40 years. Samson. This is what's interesting. As we've been going through and tracing this, we've been looking at the names of the judges. And this is an interesting one. Samson means, you ready for this? This is crazy. It comes from the, the noun... The, the root word comes from the noun shamash, which means it's the biblical word for sun, the sun, the sun that we see, the orb in the sky, okay? Now, you've got to stay with me here. This orb, this living organism, the sun is a living organism. It is part of creation. It's a living. We forget that. We, we see it come up. Every day when we see it, we're not in awe of God because we forget that that is a... We, for all the distractions of the world, we forget that the sun, when it rises and it sets, the moon rises and it sets. Even the original Hebrew, it doesn't mention the sun and the moon in creation. It just says all, everything out there. But this sun that moves is a definite creation that has living organisms that sole job is to protect and nourish the earth. The moon, to protect through the tides. It's complete balance. It's perfect. The word Samson means sun man. That's the name Samson. And you go... Whoa, this chapter 13 is going to make a whole lot more sense. When you begin to look at all of the nuggets, all the jewels that God hides, if we take the time to look at it, that completes the story, that completes it for you and I, that makes it more sense, makes our faith stronger. I was watching an archaeological show this morning. Did you know that still to this day, in 2024, January the 14th of 2024, there is no, not one piece of evidence that disproves the Bible. Did you know that? There is not one piece of scientific evidence and historical evidence that disproves the Bible in all of the world. That's why when you hear me say the, the halls of history, the, the history is littered with broken hammers and anvils of those who've tried to disprove the Bible. There's not one 
evidence. Pontius Pilate didn't exist. Nope. They thought they had it for a while, but then in the 1990s, they uncovered a stone that was reused, a block, and on the block had his name on it, and it said in, that he is the, the governor of that region. They went, oh. Because they were saying, we can't trust the Roman historical novels. They can only do it on their other stuff. Then they find it there. I've shared this story with you when I was in Caesarea Philippi. And I walk, as I do often, which probably I shouldn't do, but I walk behind tape and I walk where I'm not supposed to go. And there's this big archaeological dig and I'm walking around and acting like I belong. People are like, hey, how you doing? I go, pretty good. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. Find anything good? They're like... Yeah, we found some cool stuff. I'm like, ah, good, good, good for you. Keep up the good work. Then I come to the the main guys, like University of Massachusetts or something, Harvard or something. And I see on their desk, on their table, a Bible. And I go, wow, is this like a, are you a believer? Is this a biblical dig? And he looks at me and goes, nah, I don't believe in God. I go, what? He goes, I don't believe in God. I go, there's a Bible right there. He goes, It is the most reliable book on planet Earth when it comes to finding ancient societies. If the Bible says they existed and we dig deep enough, we find them. And I'm looking at him like, I'm this dumb guy. I don't have no degree and all that stuff. I'm looking at him like, man, the things you're digging for are smarter than you. Jesus said, if you don't worship me, the rocks will cry out. Right? So this guy, as we move on with this, the sun, the reason why I bring this up is we can, in history, find evidence of people who worship the sun. They just worship the wrong one. Many ancient societies, let me read this to you, recognize that the sun rules life on earth. It rules the life on earth. You guys know this. If the sun was a foot closer than it is today, we would all die. We would burn up to death. We would, all of us would literally burn. One foot. If the, if the sun was one foot closer to planet earth, we would die. We could not handle the heat. If, if the sun was one foot away, we would all die. We would freeze to death. It's crazy, right? They recognize this, but few of these societies understood that even the sun is a mere creature. It's firmly subjected to the laws of nature and ultimately the unchallenged sovereignty of its creator. Yahweh. The superiority of God. Though the sun protects and makes things grow, keeps everything going, it, has, it is under the rule of the unchallenged sovereignty of Yahweh. This is crazy. So many societies made the sun a symbol of of divine supremacy. Look at our culture here. The Mayas. The Maya Kechi have what? A sun god that they worship. Am I right or wrong? 
the Greeks, the sun god. Right? We can go all the way back. We can go all over the world. The Aztecs, the sun god. The Incas, the sun god. Everyone has a sun god. Watch this. And the divine supremacy and the divinity of human kings. And to a few, it became a a symbol of satanic grand delusion and uh, this uh, existential deceit. Look at some of the cults. I propose to you, I have good friends that are Masons, but I propose to you, my uncles were like grand poopas, very high up in it. My one uncle was the secretary over the International Masons, Masonic Lodge. And they tried to get a bunch of us as younger people to join the Junior Masonic Lodge and all that stuff. And it's all about Jesus, it's all about Jesus. It's not all about Jesus. I went to one thing, I was like, this is crazy. I look to the north and to the south and to the east and to the west. And I watch the sun as it rises. There's all this stuff. I'm like, this is craziness. Even as a kid, I was like, this is crazy. This is, this is nutsoed. There is one supreme. And we can't figure it out, but he is Yahweh, Jesus Cristo, and the Holy Ghost. The three in one. And we, have, we struggle with trying to figure this out. Like I said last week, it's hard for us to relate because we cannot make ourselves into them. But through them, we fall into our destiny because we were created by them in their image for greatness. Without them, we're the missing piece. We're the missing link. It's like what Paul said. Remember what Paul said in Corinthians? This goes with it when he said, man, I'm tired of you people. Like, listen to me. All you want to do is suck on milk. You won't eat the meat. When we reject the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we bring in other things into our lives from society, we'll drink the good meat of Jesus, or the good, the good milk of Jesus. But we cannot grow and become who He called us to be because we have no protein. We're skinny fat, we're weak. We have no endurance. There's no strength. But we're still there. Paul didn't say they're not saved. But they have no full potential. Right? Each level of of sports that I increased with, the level, it changed with the diet. Because each level, there was more worth to you. And the people around you saw more worth to you because you became something that made them money. And because of that, one of the big things that they would do was diet. They changed our diet. We had chefs, nutritionists. They would come tell you what to eat, your body type. It's hard to believe this, but at one time I could not keep weight on. It was the craziest thing. I could not eclipse 220 pounds. I can eclipse 220 pounds now in a single meal. But back in the day, I couldn't. I would get up to 220 pounds, and by the end of the season, I'm at 207 to 212. It's very hard to play against 300-pound guys when you're at that weight. So I would force, super strong, but I'd force it. So what they would do is these nutritionists would come in, Lisa can remember these days, where they would come in and they would give us these little, like, pudding cups. Remember those old pudding cups? But they weren't pudding cup. They were some kind of weird chemical tasted like, the chocolate tasted like chalk, 
the vanilla tasted like chalk, and it would hit your gut, and it just hurt. But there was like 2,500 calories in this little thing. And then at night, three nights a week, at midnight, my doorbell would ring in my dorm. Ding! Domino's Pizza Delivery. The school paid for it. Me and my roommate, we were in the skinny man's club. He's a, we're like skinny man's club. And each of us got one large pepperoni pizza that we were required to eat. It is not healthy for you, but man, it was awesome. Because you all know what I'm talking about. You get the hungriest at midnight. Like, I could eat right now. So I'd just eat. We would pound pizza three nights a week. Same with us biblically. We have to take the same concept. I lack in it so often. It's so much easier just to drink the milk. Because if I just drink the milk, there's really no process. Have you ever noticed drink the milk, you're just good to go? You eat food, what happens to you after you eat a good meal with lots of protein? You, your body wants to work it, digest it, put it through, and then you want to sleep. It can be a pain, right? But then afterwards, you're filled with great energy. Then you get energy. Your next day at work, you're or an athletically. You see what I'm saying? You're able to produce more, do more, be better. You're mentally clarity. The clarity mentally is better. It's all this nutrition. That's why Paul said, what's wrong with you? You're made in the image of God. And he's giving you meat. But you will not propel yourself forward with Papa. He's holding your hand, but you won't walk with him. You stop. And he's saying, no, walk with me. Read me. Talk with me. I want to give you meat so that in my creation, made in my creation, you have the ability to complete the destiny that I have for you. Some is evangelists. Some are teachers. Some are business people. Some are, I mean, it goes on and on. The, and he doesn't have mediocrity. God is not the God of mediocrity. Don't believe that. You're your own God of mediocrity because you're comparing yourself to what somebody else does. But what you say is your mediocrity, if you're in the zone, if God has you in that realm, it's where He has you in that realm. Quit comparing yourself to somebody because it's great things for the kingdom because without that, other things can't be done. You guys tracking? Like, okay, I feel like I need to get this crop. Look at school system. Look at Shamgar right there. Shamgar. What's up, buddy? He's like, yeah, my mother right there. So, school. When we go to school, we put our children to school, what's the first level we put them in? Kindergarten? And then we put them, I don't know, still after 20 years, like standard one, standard two. I still don't get that. I go first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, right? Can you take a kindergartner and put him in eighth grade? But the eighth graders, man, that's, that's pretty amazing because at eighth grade, man, they're going to change the world. They're, they're starting to learn like algebra. So that teacher is way more important than a kindergarten teacher, right? Oh, wait a second, what do you mean? They're teaching algebra up here. You guys tracking what I'm saying? 
oh, no, no, no. The college professor is way more important than the eighth grade teacher. No. It's ludicrous to think that way. That kindergarten teacher and the parents are responsible to prepare that child for first grade. And that first grade teacher is responsible with the parents to prepare that child for second grade. Now some, through work and the abilities, can skip second and go to third. We see that all the time. But it doesn't make less each grade level's teacher. Without them, we lose. Why then, if we can understand that? Look at this in the military. You have privates, private first class, corporals, right? Sergeants, sergeant first class, staff sergeant. It goes all the way up, sergeant major, lieutenants, captains, majors. We just took some dude off the street and made him a four-star general, right? It's ludicrous. A private takes anywhere between three to four years for him to become a sergeant. Why? Because he has to be taught by the superiors above him that he's taught by corporals how to become a corporal. And then he's taught by sergeants how to become sergeants. And then he's taught by a first sergeant how to become a first sergeant. He's taught by a sergeant major how to become a sergeant major. Lieutenants are taught by captains. Captains are taught by majors. Majors are taught by colonels. Each one of their roles is significant. It's easy for us to understand that, right? Look at your own jobs, whatever job that you're in. You have managers. I'm a new hire. I just experienced this. The stupidity of taking somebody who has no managerial skills and thrusting them into a position of managerial. Manager. They have no idea what they're doing, and they mess everything up, everything. They have no clue. It's important for those people to sit under people to be taught. But when we come to our walk with Christ, we go, that guy or that girl does this and I only do this. It's because you're drinking milk. And you're not mature enough. If you start eating the meat, you realize that the first grade teacher is as important as the eighth grade teacher, is as important as the college professor. Because without the one here, this never happens. They'll never get to here without a mother and a father in a home. Man, I could go through statistics of fatherlessness in a home, even absentee fathers. It is crazy, the numbers. So we break it down. God says, I made you in my image, not just so I could be a narcissistic guy. He's not narcissistic. Oh, look at my, oh, I made a bunch of me's, look at me. If that was the case, we'd all be forced to bow to him. We're not. Each of you have free will, correct? You can choose to worship God or not worship God. Right or wrong? So he's not narcissistic. What does he want? Like a, like a good parent, he's saying, I created you in my image. I love you. Now I want you to do the best. Let's do it together. I choose you. That's what God says to you. I choose you. I made you and I choose you. What do we do with that? Pursuing the world. We're pursuing the sun. We're pursuing the thing, building off of last week, we're pursuing the thing we can become with the work of our hands, not the thing that requires us 
to eat protein, eat meat, and be shaped by God through adversity. I was on a call earlier this week, man. Hardcore calls this week. I mean, I said, hey, listen to me, brother. We were were challenging, encouraging each other. I said, listen to me. In the book of Proverbs, it says this, that if you crumble in adversity, this is the Bible, it says you're not made of much. Adversity is for you and I to be able to say, bring it on. I don't like it, but I'm going to smile at it. Remember the Emperor's New Groove? This is how I try to face adversity. I hate it, but I try to face it like the Emperor's New Groove. They're in the water. They're all tied to the log. Waterfall? Yep. Sharp, pointy rocks at the bottom? Yep. Bring it on! Sometimes adversity is there, and God uses adversity not to crush you, but to strengthen you, to show you that you cannot be crushed, to create a mindset within you where you can handle the meat. But some of us aren't ready for it because all we do is eat meat. Some of us aren't ready for it because all we do is tame the lion and tame the bear, don't kill it. So when the big giant shows up, we don't know what to do with it. When adversity shows up, we cower at it and jump out of the water. And we worship the things and try to become the things that we know we can become by our own hands. That's what drives me crazy with politicians. There's a handful of them, but there's not very many that put their face in the Word of God and pray for themselves, not for the glory of themselves. What about us? Are we different than them? Ancient society, they became this, they took this sun and they made a grand delusion, this deceit, satanic worship. You can become bright. It was Herod standing there at Caesarea, Philippi, who put on that mirrored robe and he shone like God. He said, look, I am God. What did he want to do? He wanted to shine like the sun. God ate him up with worms in 24 hours. He was dead by worms, the lowliest of the lowliest stuff, stuff in the dirt. Oh, I could, but I could be that. He put, could put a cloak on him. Look at the hypocrisy. Sunday and Wednesday Christians. That's why I go, man, I don't associate as a Christian. I associate as a follower of Jesus, and sometimes I step off the path. But he's quick to grab my hand and say, get back up on this path. What are you doing? Follow me. Get my dust all over you, boy. Right? Because he made himself into this image. Because he could see it and be it. But we can't be that. But I propose to you in this situation, why I'm going deep in this as we look at the judges, is because in some situations, God wants to make you a judge. Not a judge to rule over and destroy people, but a judge, we look at it wrong. I'll be a judge, right? I'll tell them people what to do, blah, blah, blah. No! The judge, what does every judge do that we've read about so far? They rescue those in prison, those in bondage. 
those who are chained. The judge is the freedom giver before death. That the only way we can become that is to eat of the pure meat, the word of God, to get face to face, to say, Jesus, I need to grow, to to deal with adversity. Adversity sucks. I'm not up here telling you I like it. I hate it. Watch this. Pretty much all great empires are identified in some way or form of the sun. But this is scary. This is true. But the periods of humanity with the deepest darkness were triggered by men and women who imagined the sun to be supreme. Think about that. The most darkest, darkest times in the history of mankind are when they said, there is no God. The darkest time. In the midst of this globe, this orb, that is alive, it's living. The sun is living. It is a living organism, man. And it is furious. I kind of look at the sun as part of the temperament of God. And listen to me, and I mean this in all reverence, because everything has this piece of him. I believe the sun is like the temperament of God. It is great warmth, great light, but at the same time can devour you that moment. And it's angry. It's like it's angry at the darkness. Because when it shows up, what does it do? It may, have, you ever, have you ever watched the sun, right? And this is just a picture. I'm not making a religion out of this, but I just, it's, just, it's a picture. As the sun is rising, what do you see with darkness? Try, try it. Here's what I want you to do. If you can get up in the morning, look as the sun rises and take quick glances behind you and watch what's happening behind you. The darkness is fleeing. It starts to flee rapidly. As the sun comes up, darkness flees. It's like the sun is like, I will devour darkness. It's like, Lord, I don't want to worship that orb. I want to worship you, the one who is supreme to the very thing that gives life in a physical, that creates photosynthesis, that creates us to grow, vitamin D. I mean, gosh, you created that very living thing. Samson is the sun man. In verse 2, it says this. It says, at that time, there was a man named Manoah from Zorah, from the tribe of Dan. His wife was barren and childish, childless. The angel of God appeared to her and told her, I know that you are barren and childless, but you're going to become pregnant and bear a son, but take much care. Drink no wine or beer, or eat nothing ritually unclean. You are in fact pregnant right now, carrying a son. No razor shall touch his head. The boy will be God's Nazarite from the moment of his birth. He will launch the deliverance from Philistine, the Philistine oppression. 
Now here's the deal. This is the funny part of God. It's like, you mean the moment he's born? The very second he's born? Or is this prophetic thing? See, we get the end story. But a lot of our story, our story within the story is we get prophetic meanings like that, but we think it's for the now, but we don't know. We have to wait a few years. So we judge our situation. But also, I want you to look at something here. I wrote, wow! Every time, listen to this. I'd really, this is really the first time I saw it. So I went, my gosh, Lord. Leading up to the birth of you, you kept showing us that you were going to come miraculously from a woman. You kept taking a woman who was barren and saying, you'll have a baby, and I'll miraculously make the baby. He did it with Sarah. Now he's doing it here. I wrote this side note. Is that, watch this. When Jesus, when we look at the story within the story here, we suddenly see this picture. Samson is a pre-picture, the sun man, the Son Man is a pre-picture of Jesus who's coming to deliver that upon His birth He will set in motion the deliverance of the Hebrew people, but not just the Hebrew people, but all people upon His birth. But here's what's unique about this. Because I sat there and went, why is that so significant? So I'm praying, reading it, looking at it, I go, this, there's something super significant here. Lord, there's a story in the story. What's the story in the story? All the other ones come through, check this out, they come through a woman who's already married. She's been defiled, so to speak. She's unclean, so to speak. Doesn't say she's living in sin, but she's already had sex. She's already been with a man. But Mary, this precursor picture, is of a Savior through a virgin undefiled to bring undefiled salvation to the earth. You guys getting this picture here? That he brings salvation multiple times through men, through women that have husbands. But this time with Jesus, he's bringing undefiled, she's been undefiled, miraculously gives birth to Jesus. Jesus brings undefiled salvation. No longer do you have to go kill something to be saved. What you have to do is kill the flesh. Give him yourself on the altar to be saved. It's undefiled salvation. It's perfect, right, and good. Through Mary. And it's a picture of it right here. If we'll just look. Isn't that fascinating? When people go, I don't know. They're, they're, Jesus is every story in the Bible is about Jesus. It's about the pre God is like, can't wait for us to know this stuff. He's like, what? Can't you see it? I'm doing it. It's coming. Watch this. The woman went to her husband and said, a man of God came to me. He looked like the angel of God. Terror. This is, what she, this is how she describes him. This, this, this messenger of God. Terror 
laced with glory. That's what it means. Terror. This dude shows up and says, hey, yo, sister, you're going to deliver the deliverer. And she goes to her husband, this dude was terror laced with glory. Watch this, and I'll respond to that in a minute. I didn't ask him where he was from, and he didn't tell me his name, but he told me, you're pregnant, you're going to give birth to a son, don't drink any wine or beer. There you go. Means they were drinking beer. See, all my tea, there you go. Well, you people that judge me, right? He doesn't say get drunk. He says, don't be drinking no beer, right? And eat nothing ritually unclean. The boy will, will be God's Nazarite from the moment of birth to the day of his death. Now, Manoah is the husband, okay? So this Manoah dude, he's like, yo, are you pregnant already? Okay. All right. So what does he do? It tells us a lot about the parents of Samson. Now, for parents who have kids that have gone astray, this should bring you hope. Sometimes when people get to the age they're going to make their own decisions, they're just going to make their own decisions. Keep praying for them. Keep loving them. It's not your fault. You're not perfect. They just have made choices. But watch what Manoah says a lot about this guy. So Manoah prayed to God. He said, Master, let the man of God who, who you sent come to us again and teach us how to raise this boy is to be born. How many have ever felt like that? Like, God's given you this great task, he told you, and then you're like, you start to think it through, and you go, um, can you come again? Like, I need a little help here. I'm not quite sure how to do this. I don't know if we did it right. I don't even, I have no clue what I'm doing. I admit that with my own kids, all my kids. I go, I have no idea what I'm doing. Nor, I seriously have no idea. If anything good comes from my kids, Lisa and I agree with this, it was all Jesus. Because we, though we are redeemed, we are jacked up individuals. I look and go, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. So he goes and he says, God, come teach us. Now check this. This is where it gets crazy interesting. Okay? This is where it gets crazy. So God listened to Manoah. I wrote this to us. Sincere prayer, God listens to. He hears all of our prayers, but He hears your sincere prayer. He hears your cry when you say, I have no idea. I need help. He'll come to you. There's proof of it. Watch what happens. God's angel came again to the woman. She was sitting in the field. Her husband Manoah wasn't there with her. She jumped to her feet and ran and told her husband, he's back. The man who came to me that day. Like she just jumps up in the field. She's out doing something, working. I don't know what he's doing. But she's out working in the field where every woman should be. Working in, I'm just kidding. Preach, Pat. Every guy's like, preach, preach. Just kidding. It's a joke. She jumps up. She shows up at the door. Maybe he should have been in the field. She wasn't, you know. Maybe it's an indicator, and she's like, I'll show you. He's where you should have been. Can you imagine that conversation if it took place? He's right where you should have been. I told you you should be in the field. No, you make me go out there. So No, I don't know. 
He said, So Manoah got up, and following his wife, came to the man. And he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to my wife? Like, this is crazy how what we do as people. Those are like, I call those cartoon words. Words you speak that you wish you... You ever seen a cartoon when someone says something and the cartoon kind of has the words hang there for a second and a person grabs the words and puts it back in? These are like cartoon words. We say stuff sometimes. We wish, as it's coming out, we're like, I have no idea why I'm saying this. I probably shouldn't be saying this. Like, hey, are you the dude who's talking to my wife? Like, you know he's the dude who's been talking to your wife. Is there 500 other men out there hanging out with your wife in the field? Like... He showed up with just her, dude. No, he left. That dude left. He went over there. No, it's like crazy what men say sometimes. Now watch this. This was another wow. He said, I am. you translate it out, this angel said, I am. Where else do we see I am? Moses in the burning bush. Who are you? I am. You tell them, I am. I wrote, wow. It's a Christophany. The one who will be the Savior of all mankind is speaking face to face with the one who will give birth to a Savior in a period of time. Does this boggle your mind? Imagine that. Jesus says, I'm speaking to you. You will give birth to a Savior for a moment, but you're looking face to face at the Savior of the world. For eternity. Manoah said, So when what you say comes true, what do you have to tell us about this boy, his work? Like he doesn't question it. He says, Yeah, it's going to come to pass. Watch what he says. The angel of God said to Manoah, Keep in mind everything I told the woman. Notice he doesn't. For all these people out there that want to say women can't be used and all that stuff, they're smoking crack. The angel doesn't say, all right, I'm going to give it to you now, dude. I'm going to put her to the side. What does he say? He says, watch what he says. He says, keep in mind everything I told the woman. That's why I call Lisa woman. I go, woman, bring me my super suit. Woman, I need some food. It's because Jesus said it. I'm going to do what Jesus said, right? You guys try that on your own. See how it happens in your house. I say it at a distance. Woman, I'm hungry. I say it far, never in striking distance. Right? And never where there's a gun near. Ever. But I do like to say it. Woman. Right? Watch this. Eat nothing that comes from the vine. Drink no wine or beer. Eat no ritually unclean food. She's to observe everything I commanded her. So it starts with her. You Women, you think your job is important in the home? You think your job of raising a child is less important? You're mis- you are sadly mistaken. 
your job, listen, what he's saying, what I believe to you, what I propose, is that what God is saying to the woman, the moment you become pregnant, your devotional life should increase. Your song time of worship with the Lord should increase. Your reading of the word should increase. Because the moment of conception, there is life within you, and you are instilling in that child within you values and principles of God by what that child which is attached to you hears and feels. It's biblical. It's biblical. Manoah said to the angel of God, please stay with us a little longer. We'll prepare a meal for you, a young goat. Like, man, I'll feed you. Watch what, this, watch what happens here. God's angel said to Manoah, even if I stay, I won't eat your food. Hmm? You've got to go back to the Old Testament. Look at Abraham. He says, even if I stay, I won't eat your food. He doesn't say don't do it. He doesn't say, hey, let's hang out together. He just says, hey, I'm not going to eat your food. And then he says this. But if you want to prepare a whole burnt offering for God, go ahead. Who is Jesus always talking about? Who is Jesus always lifting up the Father? More evidence of who they're talking to. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, man. It's like, I won't eat it. Because it's forgot. It's the picture of the New Testament taking place. Right here. In the deliverance. He says, but if you want to make it, offer it. Offer it. Offer your, offer your obedience to Papa. Manoah had no idea he was talking to the angel of God. He had no idea who he was talking to at that moment. He's like, oh. You could probably see the confusion. He's probably like, okay, I... I guess I'll, yeah, let's burn an offering. Yeah, I guess you're right. Good idea, sir. Then Manoah asked the angel of God, what's your name? When your words come true, I'd like to honor you. This is classic Jesus. This is punk rock Jesus. This is rock and roll star Jesus stuff right here. The angel of God said, what's this? You asked my name? You wouldn't understand. Listen to what he says in Hebrew. It's sheer wonder. What? Jesus looks into the face of his creation. God in the flesh looks at this guy and goes, you want to know, you, you can't understand my name. There is no other name under heaven in which you can be saved. There is no name under heaven which strikes the fear into the demonic forces. There is no name under heaven that resonates for eternity like Jesus. Yeshua. Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus the Christ. It's so classic how he does it. He just looks at me and goes, Brother, it's sheer wonder. My name is Sheer Wonder. Now watch this. Manoah's probably going, what's going on? So Manoah took the kid and the grain offering, sacrificed them on a rock altar to God, who works wonders. This is punk rock Jesus right here. As the flames leapt up from the altar to heaven, God's angel also ascended in the altar flames. Do you see 
the sacrifice to mankind, Jesus like becomes part of that burnt offering, that moment before him, and just lifts up into heaven in the, in the sacrifice. Who will be the sacrifice for all of mankind? Oh my gosh, I see this stuff. Guys, I'm, I, I start crying. I'm in there in my office. I get all crazy. You see these stories? I'm like, Lord, it's too magnificent for me. I read this stuff and I go, whoa. Start reading the Bible trying to find Jesus, not what you think someone else should hear. And what you'll find when you find Jesus in every picture, you're finding what every person should hear. Jesus. 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 Deliverance is in Jesus through His Holy Ghost. Salvation is in Jesus because of God's great wonder and love for you and I. Prosperity is in Jesus. Healing is in Jesus. Humbleness is in Jesus. Strength is in Jesus. Courage is in Jesus. Joy is in Jesus. It's all right here. This is what happened. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell face down on the ground. Manoah and his wife never saw the angel of God again. They just fell. How do we know it was Jesus? Man, so for some reason, he just kind of hit himself. This way, he just goes, boom. They hit the ground like, oh my gosh. Watch what he says. This is classic. Only then did Manoah realize that this was God's angel. And he said to his wife, we're as good as dead. We looked on God. No man has seen the face of God and lived. He's laughing. He's like, I just saw him a few months ago. He's pretty cool. You suckers are missing out. Do you see this? They hit the ground and he just looked at his wife and goes, we're dead, dude. We're dead. But his wife said, watch this. If God were planning to kill us, He wouldn't have accepted our whole burnt offering and grain offering. Or revealed all these things. So sometimes, guys, we go to God in the middle of our sin and we ask for forgiveness and we think He still hates us. No, He accepted it. He loves you. You made a mistake. But watch this. Or revealed all these things to us, given why would he give us this birth announcement? Okay. Terror and grace. This is my own little thing, but I thought on this terror and grace. And I, I look at my relationship with Lisa, my relationship with God, Lisa's relationship with God. I watch other friends' relationships with God, the husband and wife, family members. I watch the relationship with women that they have with God, and I watch the relationship that men have with God. And terror grace is the perfect analogy from a woman, but I believe it describes masculinity and femininity perfectly. We as men, when we're looking at things in the world, we are judging it based upon if we can beat it, if we can conquer it, if we can challenge it, and we look at its strength, and we begin to already figure out how do we do that. Right? Women look at certain things, and they see the glory in it. 
the magnificence of it, the beauty of it. Men, the masculinity part is, how do we fight it? How do we get it to join us? How do we participate with it? How do I join that? Women go, it's amazing. Now, it's not scientific. I'm just saying to you that when I see terror and grace, the man in masculinity sees the terror of God. Lisa and I have had great battles over this. She's like, no, I'm like the fear of the Lord, the terror. I said, I'm terrified of him. I am terrified. How can you be terrified? He's so lovely. He's loving. He's filled with grace. He's beautiful. I'm like, I'm terrified of that. I'm terrified by that. In a, in a thought, he could take my life. Hey, he would never do that. Yes, he would. The earth is gone. The earth is gone. You know what I'm saying? As a man, the masculinity, I look at that and go, I'm terrified. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to be in his presence. I want his presence. But I understand in masculinity the power, the authority. The sh- this, it's like, um, you see what I'm saying? But Lisa in the femininity, she sees this beauty, the love in the terror. She sees it. And she says, I want more of it. It is a picture when he says, I, I'm saying, when she says, it was pure terror and glory. It should be the picture of a marriage. Not terror on the wife's side that she's terrified that the guy's going to beat her up. That's not what I'm talking about. It should be the terror of, I am with a man who will fight for me and will love me and is everyone who is opposed to me's enemy. He will shine and create an environment for me to operate in. And the man looks upon his wife with grace and says, she is the picture of beauty and I will die for her. And she brings beauty to the home. She brings grace to the home. She brings everything to it. We, likewise, Christ as the groom, we should look at him and go, you have sacrificed everything for me and you, will, you have already died for me and crushed evil under your foot. And me, I, by your grace, am accepted to be your child. It is just magnificent. That's why he says, Jesus says, they said, what's your name? I think we ought to start looking at this more often. Look at it like he says, what's your name? My name's Jesus, right? It's sheer wonder. It's sheer wonder. The last time you said Jesus, did you think? I'm guilty of it. Jesus. It's too wonderful. Nothing in heaven. Nothing under heaven. Wow, Jesus, I don't get it. Now watch what happens here as we close out 13 today. The woman gave birth to a son. They named him Samson, Sun Man. The boy grew 
and God blessed him. What you see right here, don't take these verses and these verses and overlook them. They're as they are as key as we close out 13 as key as the promise because what we see here is fulfilled promises of God and the old, and the Holy Ghost is active. Now I'm going to close with this. The Spirit of God began working on him while he was staying at, at the night camp between Zora and Ethanol. What I mean by that is that Jesus is first and comes the Spirit. The promise of God to you is if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, He will save you for eternity. But it's a promise is also that He will give you His Holy Ghost. And His Holy Ghost will begin to mature you, work within you, and walk with you as you start to begin the journey of your destiny. This last two verses are vital to understand what's taking place. It's also vital for all of those who say, well, you don't really see the Holy Ghost in the Old Testament. Yeah, you do. You see it right here. He says it. The Spirit of God began working on him. The question to you and I is, are we ready for the Holy Ghost to begin working with us? Because it's a journey. And it can be sheer terror and sheer grace all wrapped up into one. Amen? Jesus, we love you. I thank you for your word. I thank you that through the birth of Samson, we get to see you once again. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. You are amazing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. Thank you.